This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series, Ulysses at 100, Lessons for the 21st Century Compliance Professional from one of the greatest books of the 20th century. Matt Kelly once challenged me to write a blog post for Bloomsday. He was well aware of my great love for James Joyce's magnum opus, so I accepted the challenge. This year is the 100th anniversary of the publication of Ulysses. To celebrate this event, Joyce and Compliance, I've decided to do a five-part podcast series on Ulysses. Over this podcast series, I will highlight some of the book and commentary that tie Joyce, Dublin, Leopold Bloom, and his wife Molly together with Stephen Dadalus and what they can teach the modern compliance profession. I hope you'll join me in this short celebration and trip through Dublin, 1904, in this 100th anniversary of Bloomsday. Today we take up Molly Bloom and passion for the compliance profession. Molly Bloom is Leopold Bloom's wife, and she is one of the key topics and persons in this book, although she only speaks in one chapter. It is in chapter 23, and this chapter takes its name from the wife of Ulysses, who remained at home during Ithaca during Ulysses' 21-year absence and who faithfully resisted all suitors while awaiting his return. Given that Molly has entertained a lover while Bloom was away for less than 24 hours, she hardly seems like a model of Penelopean fidelity, and while Penelope speaks of almost nothing but her longing to see Ulysses again, Molly generates literally a uh, hurricane of words lying in bed with Bloom in the Early morning hours, she thinks of everything she's ever done or felt and every man she's ever known. Nevertheless, her uninhibited and sometimes self-contradictory monologue finally shows her thoughts returning to Bloom, who she clearly prefers even over the lover she has recently had in their bed. Even though she craves another dose of sexual excitement, Bloom is the only man she's known who ever fully understood her and the memory of that um, their first lovemaking is how Molly's monologue ends. The key to Molly's wildly flowing monologue is in its first and last words which is yes. Unlike the catechist of chapter 17 she moves by starts and stops but she speaks like a roaring stream. The episode consists of eight sentences that average five pages each. Apart from Molly's reference to her menstruation, the only period we find in this nonstop monologue is at the very end. And the first and last word, as I mentioned, is yes. And that's the key to the life-affirming spirit of this chapter featuring Molly Bloom. Molly essentially has the role of an earth mother, although she only has uh, one child living, one having died uh, at a very young age, I think 11 days. But she's really a bundle of contradictions. She's known around Dublin as a gamey mare, uh, but she gives no evidence that she ever had sex with anyone before Bloom or that she committed adultery before today. Uh, In fact, uh, she's long been celibate. Uh, Her son, 
Rudy's death at 11 days touched her deeply as it touched Bloom. And she speaks for all women, yet in the same vein will often disparage them for their cattiness and criticalness. Um, she feels sad that she thinks she's past her prime, yet she understands that she continues to grow and uh, as a woman and throughout this uh, chapter, we see that she does uh, have sex with Bolin, but she cares more for Bloom, who she finds more refined and sensitive. Um, the final passage of her monologue begins with a series of negative statements about Bolin and ends with her memory of passionately saying yes to Bloom, yes to his proposal for marriage, and yes to uh, sleeping with him as well. The, uh, she understood, she understands his sensitivity, and she even says, quote, I saw he understood or felt as a woman. While um, she does profess her love for him, the adulterous estrangement does leave some unanswered questions about their future. And the mother part is also really interesting uh, because it shows a tie to the end of the Ithaca chapter where uh, Molly lies on her side uh, fulfilled. But this chapter, interestingly, was the one that the censors had the most trouble with and really led to it being banned uh, in the United States and heavy criticism in the uh, repressed and Catholic nature of Ireland in the 1920s. So it's, it's in many ways a contradiction, but in many ways it presages, uh, I think, modern writing in a way no other chapter does. Podcast series is around my passion for compliance and indeed many compliance professionals' passion for compliance. And that leads us to our compliance quote of the day. Our quote today comes from Mary Shirley, one of the co-founders of the Great Women in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine who says that uh, her passion about compliance is rather not simply compliance, but ethics and compliance and the side of ethics. This area can be gray. It can trigger reputational risk as much as regulation. I love to get to work in that area because sometimes there's no clear or even good answer that keeps you on your toes and requires a skill set that is different or what is required to be a successful lawyer. So what are we to make of Molly Bloom and her chapter and her role in this book? And what I really want you to think about is why are you so passionate about compliance? We've now had quotes from Christy Grant Hart, Lisa Fine, and today Mary Shirley. Uh, I am I'm very open about my passion for compliance as the compliance evangelist, and I try to bring the good news of compliance uh, to the business community and the compliance community. But what is it that really drives you? Here, uh, I'll speak for myself in that what drives me is that every day, literally in everything I do, I am helping to fight the worldwide scourge of bribery and corruption. The UN, or the, rather the World Economic Forum, estimates that 
Corruption costs the world economy $3 trillion on an annual basis. And I am part of the fight against corruption, but I believe in doing it through business and the business context. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're a compliance professional, well, you're in the business world. And everything you do to help your company do business more ethically and in compliance with anti-corruption laws, such as the Brazilian Clean Companies Act, the UK um, Bribery Act, uh, France, Sepondu, and of course the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, really um, helps that fight as well. Doing business uh, with purpose is another reason that many people often cite. Uh, Profits with purpose, purpose purpose-driven businesses, purpose-driven economies are one of the clear outfalls in my mind from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And when you think about it, there's frankly nothing more important than the fight for democracy on a worldwide basis. Well, now we have compliance tied into that fight as well. And uh, I've often cited uh, the Russian army is an example of what can happen to a country when corruption is so endemic that you literally do not have spare parts for your armies and your citizens you put at risk in war. So I think we've seen a great example of compliance from the Russian war, and I hope you will join me in sharing your passion for compliance today. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ulysses at 100, Lessons for the Compliance Professional. I hope you will join me tomorrow for another episode in this series. But more importantly, I hope you will take a look at James Joyce's work, Ulysses. If you happen to be a Ulysses lover like I am, uh, I wish you would post a comment in uh, either iTunes or on uh, a Compliance Podcast Network or Megaphone or wherever you listen to this, or contact me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I'd like to explore your love of Ulysses and perhaps have you on a podcast to talk about what it means to you. We're going to be taking a look at this from compliance and leadership angles, so I hope you will join me for another episode of Ulysses at 100.